pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Corneliu Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. And we are at Toronto. Why are we at Toronto? Because there's a film festival here as you may have read or heard, uh, or you're here perhaps, and you're listening for tips on what to see, um, or you just want to disagree with us, which is also good. Uh, In any case, enough about me. I would like to introduce my wonderful guests who will be talking about movies with me, uh, beginning with... Eric Hines. I'm curator of film at Museum of the Moving Image, and I'm a film comment columnist. And... Devika Girish. I'm the assistant editor at Film Comment. Jessica Green, the artistic director of the Houston Cinema Arts Society. Very good. Where to begin? Uh, one thing about Toronto, of course, is that it is an enormous festival. It is a big tent festival is the the, the polite way I refer to it, um, which means, you know, you have... I, do I really... I, I don't have to introduce Toronto. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have <laughs> well, some general I mean, I mean, it's a market, it's right? A market. As well as a premier festival, right. as well as the beginning in, in many ways of the North in North yeah. America or part of the beginning of the fall movie season. Of and, the death march that is the fall movies, right. awards movie season. But then also has things like art cinema and wavelengths yes. and up and coming cinema and discovery. So like it's massive and has a it's lot of everything. different functions. And it, arguably the largest cosmopolitan festival on the planet. I mean, Khan might be bigger, but this is the largest festival in a big city, most massive, mm-hmm. 44 years old. What is it? 3,000 volunteers. I mean, this is a massive, massive full yeah. Yeah. city undertaking. Yeah. It's huge. And and also, I, I would have to say, extremely enthusiastic audiences yeah. who seem to oh, yeah. pack every single screening festival. and who are excited for every single actor and director who is living and breathing in the city right now um it's there's probably a little bit of cynicism behind what you just said i didn't have any at all actually <laughs> i'm kind of admiring that's like the lifeblood of things i mean imagine no, no, no. having no i, I agree. yeah no no, no. But, but but there is there's a edges towards over enthusiasm but that's not the worst thing for a festival at all no no i mean you need that 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 lifeblood as someone who's here for the first time this is the most people per square area of festival that i've ever experienced so <laughs> Just making it through the square and and to the theaters is actually much more yeah. complicated, and and I can't be up to my old critic ways of just going in and out of theaters, <laughs> and yeah. So it, yeah. It, it was definitely when I stepped in, I was like, whoa, this is a lot of people. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like I'm in a 1920s silent film of someone who goes to the big city, you know, and, and there's like the the woodwinds are are, are rushing along on the score. Um, as I'm buffeted about. Um, well, what should we start off with? Let's start off with a, a, a big, fun movie that people may be curious about. Um, and uh, that movie, I'll pick at random. It's called Knives Out. Uh, it is directed by Ryan Johnson. It has a cast of thousands, more stars than are in the sky, as they used to say of MGM, I think, or the shooting gallery. I'm not sure. Um, that was a dumb indie joke. Anyway, Devika, you saw this movie. What did you think of it? I did see it. Um, I enjoyed it very, very much. I think I saw the premiere actually, and you know, it was uh, again, it was a pain to get into the theater, even though I had a ticket because the street was completely packed with people craning their necks to catch a glimpse of Chris Evans, I assume, or one of the other ensemble um, of stars. Um, but it it was just like the right way to see that film, I think. It was a packed crowd that laughed at every joke uh, and that was really excited to see um, all the stars sort of debut on screen and a lot of hooting and whistling and clapping. Um, well, the film, I should actually talk about what the film is. Um, it's a whodunit. And when Ryan Johnson introduced it, he called it like an old-fashioned whodunit with movie stars. And the film actually lives 
fairly lives up to that um, description. Um, Christopher Plummer plays this old, very successful author of mystery books who has this big empire. And um, his one principle stand, by the way, is that he does not sell the rights uh, of his books to franchises or for adapt movie adaptations or sequels and the like. Um, and he has a couple of very spoiled children. Um, <laughs> one of them is Michael Shannon. Another is Jamie Lee Curtis. A daughter-in-law played by Tony Collette, who is who's this kind of I, I get I guess like a, a goop. He's goop. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Okay. You 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 just said it. I was I was going to be euphemistic, but she's yeah. She has a brand called Flam that she describes as self-sufficiency with an acknowledgement of need or of human need. Um and and uh and he has a devoted nurse who actually emerges as the protagonist of the film, played by Anna de Armas. Uh, an extremely spoiled grandson named um, Ransom. Yeah. Uh, played by Chris Evans. Harmless nickname. And 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 you know they have wives and husbands and children, so so sort of a grand cost. And uh, the movie starts in a very classic way. The nurse discovers, or 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 one of the help in the house discovers um, that Christopher Christopher Plummer's character is dead, and he's found on the couch with his throat slit, and it's supposed to be a suicide. In come a couple detectives. Uh, one of them is Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, and also Daniel Craig kind of sneaks in and he's a private detective. And he's been hired by someone, even he doesn't know whom. So there's some kind of anonymous person who's hired him to uh, find if this is, I guess, a murder or a suicide. So he starts questioning each of the characters. And Anna Diarmas' character has a weird... Um, condition where if she lies she immediately throws up and like a very literal condition where she cannot lie Um, so they sort of start using her to try to get into the secrets of the family and you know sort of things come unraveling and so it goes and you know you go from one twist and revelation to the other until you slowly figure out what's happening and I have to say I feel like I haven't seen a whodunit or a mystery uh, detective movie in a while where I genuinely was guessing and wasn't sure what happens next and which actually kept me surprised and on my toes and this I definitely didn't see what was coming at each step and it's um it's pretty different I mean it takes some um unusual turns and one of them is that the fact Ana Diarmas' character's mother is supposed to be undocumented, and that actually forms an important part of the plot, that um, if any sort of legal scrutiny you know, befalls her family, then they could be deported, and this becomes a very crucial um, point in the plot and leverage and something that um, you know, mobilizes the whole thing. And there's other sorts of touches like these, which make the film, um, where the film tries to be really timely, and I think for the most part succeeds. It's it's very sharp, well-timed, well-acted. Um, there's a, 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 another grandson who's like a, who's a Nazi child, like he's, he spends all his time on the internet and he's an alt-right troll, and a granddaughter who is, someone describes her as majoring in SJW, and the whole family is basically just like wealthy, vi- white, extremely ignorant and oblivious to how people actually lead their lives. Half of them are virtue signalers and just kind of posture liberal politics. The others are actually bad. Um, and these sorts of things like play out as the film unfolds. So all of this is very amusing, as I said, like surprisingly timely and well-written. I do think sometimes to me it felt like it was a bit too smug for its own good, like it was patting its back for being so politically aware. And I mean, it's it's a politically aware film. It's not, you know, it's not going to radicalize anyone or change the political fates of this country. But um, but it does what it sets out to do well. So that's my very long sh- spiel. Knives Out. <laughs> Most fun part about Knives Out um, was standing in line and. And the ticket takers are shouting out, knives out. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, 
I was just waiting for havoc to break loose. Break loose, but uh, no, that's not the funniest thing with the movie. I thought the movie was also quite funny. Um, it's almost, it's almost kind of um, just a, a kind of plot device that it is a mystery. It's almost more just like a, a, a sharply written, written like comic caper in a way. I think most whodunits aren't really whodunits in the sense that they never actually give you all the information you would need to figure it out on yourself and i don't think a le- whodunit is legitimate unless it actually does that i think the greatest skill for um, a mystery writer would be to give you everything you need to figure it out before they actually finish the book anyway maybe that's a quibble um maybe it does give you all the information but mostly you're so distracted because it's very like peppily um written and paced and and um and cut together um the, the all the actors are terrific um you know, comedians, um, Jamie Lee Curtis is especially sharp with just like this smallest like glance or gesture. She plays kind of a haughty sort of self-made, but not really self-made, um, uh, real estate magnate. Um, yeah. And they're all just greedy. Um, and including, including in her own way, I think the, um, the, 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 um, liberal, you know, um, stereotype of this college student, um, who, yeah, you, you realize it's not as noble as she's initially um, sets herself out to be. Uh, but yeah, I haven't been a fan of all of Ryan Johnson's films necessarily, but um, I thought this was good. It's pretty long. It's like over two hours, probably too long because like the last 20 minutes is just them explaining the plot, which I thought they'd make more of a joke out of doing, but they didn't quite. Um, well, I, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I guess so. Had some touches, yeah. some gags. This was in the first, um, Daniel Craig plays, plays like a fake um, southerner in, in this. Oh, yeah. His accent is... He did that in Logan Lucky already, right? But didn't he have like a... Mm-hmm. Wasn't he? I think. He oh, seems to enjoy doing that. Anyway, it's kind of fun, you know, having him be like pseudo Bond mystery guy. But anyway, so that's Knives Out. That was enormously popular. That coming out in November. So that's part of the side of Toronto. That's like you're, right. I don't know, piling up stuff that's going to be coming out anyway. Did you, Eric? Did you? I did not see knives out. You didn't see knives out. Okay, my knives are not out, not yet out. <laughs> not yet out. Um, so that's knives out. Let's pivot dramatically uh, to a small, some a smaller film that that uh, of any sort. I don't really know what should we talk about. How about documentaries? Should we talk about documentaries? <laughs> we can talk about literally anything. There's dozens of films we could talk about. So I know you, it's sort we, of overwhelming. What do you got? Um, well, I'm very curious. Can we spin a bottle or something? <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, spin a roulette wheel. <laughs> That's um, how I've been, you know, planning my viewing. So, uh, well, I mean, I was curious to hear you were talking about a movie called The Lost Okoroshi. Is that what it's called? Okoroshi. Okoroshi. Yes. I'm, I'm, I tend to be notoriously not great at the describing of the films. <laughs> you always I just wanna, say that, but you I'm do not good. I don't know why you say that. <laughs> You're actually fine. Um, uh, I mean, it's and it's also like a really impossible film to describe. I think in so many ways, in yeah, it's a, in quite a good unique. way. Yeah, it's very unique. Yeah, um, it's a Nigerian film. Yes, uh, and let's see, it's about. Um, and that's a really hard one to get into without giving away too much away. But I will say that there's a character who um, is a security guard um, who is a little bit um, embattled, both in terms of. His relationship, but then also his work life. Um, he's a bit of a dreamer. He's literally dealing with uh, a dream that may be a nightmare um, that involves um, a ritual dance of, of sort of local folkloric tradition uh, that involves um, very striking, elaborate, colorful costumes. Um, and uh, there is basically something that happens at some point where there is a transformation that happens. Um, and uh, those... Uh, those um, vision or monster or there's a word that, that gets used a lot to describe masquerade masquerade yeah. that um, uh, that basically this um, element of the culture and of the past comes into the present and then sort of really kind of interacts with the entire community of people um, which is like the very vaguest outline but maybe the best well, I can pretty, do without giving too yeah, much it's away kind of, I mean it has a very kind of experimental aspect to it so it can be difficult it's very broad and experimental at the same time yeah but it's it's really interesting and really beautiful i mean it has like incredible dance in it i mean the dance aspect is really powerful and incredible and yeah it's all these kind of masquerade costumes and um 
yeah, that are part of his kind of like dreamscape. And he's, he's having this character, this main character is having all these dreams about these masquerades. And then, yeah, without spoiling right, anything, right. <laughs> things kind of come to life, mm-hmm. you know, and it ends up being this whole kind of meditation on sort of like ancestral, like culture and cultural ways, but also a really interesting kind of satire of like how people interact with these Mm -hmm. ancestral like cultures and ways like there's kind of a neo kind of black panther group at some point Mm -hmm. in the film um Mm -hmm. and and it's all set and all takes place in lagos that um is also like interacting with this it's a really abstract film again so it's kind of hard to explain this stuff but this kind of like neo black panther group that's um sort of like interacts with this masquerade character and um, wants to sort of own him, and right, and, right. and and everybody kind of wants it. And it's a na- it's a nationalist yeah. organization too, right? There's a notion of where there's like a regional aspects of this organization, and which region of the country yeah. the masquerade should belong should should belong to um, to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's really. I mean, it's like. This is a deep movie, let me just say. Like it's it just it's it's hard to explain, but it's really, really beautiful. It has this amazing costuming, amazing costuming, and amazing dance. And it and it's really kind of about like all of these things, this exploration, this journey of this character who's and it's really like, I mean, frankly, what it is without like I don't I think this is safe to say without spoiling it, it's Kafka-esque. It's basically metamorphosis. Sure, sure. But it's it's this person, yeah. this security guard in Lagos, Nigeria, right. who becomes this other figure and literally transforms into this kind of mythical figure. And it and the whole thing is this kind of meditation on longing for kind of ancestral cultures and folkways and being and things and a kind of post-colonial landscape right. Right. that is just kind of alienating you from so there's sort of this satirical organization that tries to sort of capture him and then gets in this argument about, yeah, which region of Nigeria he's going to sort of live in and represent. Right. And this other, what was the character's name that wanted to be his manager? Oh, he had a great, had, it was the same name twice. Now yeah, like a, yeah. And this guy that <laughs> he meets in the market that's just yeah. basically trying to be his manager and kind of make an entertainer. And what does he say? It's all about... What's, what, what, entertainment? He, what, yeah, he's, he's like, just, it's all about the... Not the image, but he has something that he like some. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Well, but, I mean, the, so but he's we, trying to market him, and yeah. there's sort of this joke. The sort of yeah, the organization that's like focused on sort of folkloric, like regional culture that wants to sort of like control him and take him over. They kind of there's this really funny scene where they're just talking about like the social media strategy right. for him, right. and he's basically a spirit. So I mean, it's like it's, <laughs> it, and I think there's a lot of like stuff like that in Toronto. I'll say that I feel like is really interesting and kind of like these global films that are really like meditations on like kind of like old technology and new technology and are sort of really interesting in the way they're sort of like engaging more sort of like indigenous like I don't know like experiences along with sort of like globalized technology and Mm -hmm. this film is very interesting in that way and it's also basically like a freaking music video there's all this incredible like electronic music that's sort of used from from like I think like Nigerian sort of like electronic dance music Mm -hmm. and there's a scene where this kind of spirit figure this masquerade goes to a nightclub with these prostitutes (laughs) and that's like one of the best scenes where he's just like the life of the party and (laughs) so it's just there's a lot on this film's mine for sure and it, and, you, it yeah. uses that kind of uh folkloric tradition in a really smart way like, like we're saying there's a satiric element throughout and it's explained early on that this is not a good or bad masquerade basically the masquerade matches or complements whatever it comes up against right. so if it's a good person then it becomes something that is yeah. used for the good and if it's comes up against a bad person then it's actually quite yeah. menacing and punishing and yeah. that becomes really really useful i think in a satiric sense depending on what in modern society or in that community it comes up against mm. it can be either super friendly like incredibly friendly or mm-hmm. menacing yeah. so it's a re- it's a really useful device when of course goes well beyond device in the sense that yeah. it actually honors a tradition wow. yeah i know it's it's a, it's a pretty cool movie and it's really it's really beautiful um, yeah, and it's and it's like also just about how like cosmology and how like our ideas travel mm-hmm. and things move along. But yeah, Toronto is a really big festival, and we're all seeing a lot of stuff. <laughs> so just a quick little tiny callback to the yeah. previous discussion. I feel like I haven't seen Knives Out, but I feel like it's kind of like kind of turning Agatha Christie on his head a little bit, and like that was the little bit element. Just wanted to call mm. back to that. 
I don't know if that was like what it could it seem like. And also what you were saying about the like mystery, the mystery, how it was like, that's actually, that's a really big trope and right in classic. So it sounds like it was like calling back to like classic mysteries and that you don't like anybody in these murder mysteries and like everybody's right. kind of an asshole. And that's like, that's the classic kind of like evil under the sun, Agatha Christie, everybody's kind of messed up in their own way. And that's part of, I don't know. It's yeah. like, it's a, con- you know, no, mysteries I- are kind of a comment on something. I'm not sure what exactly, but that's anyway. Yeah, I didn't see it, but it sounds really interesting, and I want to see that movie now after the description you guys provided. Yeah. Just saying. No, definitely. Um, I, I, but actually, there, I'm curious to hear about a movie that you did see that I don't think we, we have seen, um, which is great. So many movies. There's so many. So um, many. So many. <laughs> just oodles and oodles of movies. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Married Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. So now let's talk about a movie that actually was at Venice hmm. uh, called Collective, a Romanian movie. Hmm. Director's last name is Nanao, I think. Um, and this is, I'll summarize it because Eric has some sort of congenital thing where he can't summarize plots. Um, it's, uh, also a congenital thing because I actually wasn't in Venice, but apparently somebody else here was. <laughs> so why don't you start? Um, I just mouthed the words. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're getting a little punch drunk as you can tell, but, um, collective is a documentary about, uh, maybe you read in the news a few years ago, there was a terrible club fire in a club concert venue in Bucharest where 27 people were basically burned alive uh, because of, you know, insufficient exit, exit, emergency exits, no emergency exits. Um, And so this is a movie that starts off as seeming to be about like the survivors and their families. Um, But then uh, as an investigative journalist starts digging into what's going on, um, it just spins out, opens out into um, kind of an investigative story, investigative drama, as they they find out um, what 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 happened, not to the fire, but afterward. Because what happens is people died in the fire, but even you know afterwards, people were dying because the hospitals were using like uh, what's the word um, diluted antibacterial stuff that was sold by a corrupt businessman. Um, and also, they don't have proper burn like units there or something. So. The whole like facade of like post block modernity, it just kind of crumbles in this movie. Um, but it's an amazing procedural, I would say thriller, but it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm going to make your heart race, but it's just about you jaw dropping watching this, the, the corruption and, and the access that you have to like the newsroom and to a health minister who, who the new health minister who comes on who was formerly a reformer and seeing him try to navigate this whole mess. Um, and it's all, I hate the word, but observational in the sense that it's not like talking heads. It's just like we're, we're in the rooms with all these people and it's all stitched together so elegantly. It, I, you only, I, I was marveling at it more, marveling at it more and more as it went on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, there's the, it's, it's modality is one that is not the most promising for documentaries, which is, you're following around reporters, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of level of remove that can sometimes be just, uh, you know, an easy fix um, uh, or a film about journalists, which, you know, like you're one journalistic entity making yeah. a film about another one can be awkward. And um, this is absolutely necessary. Like you're I'm convinced from the very beginning that you're exactly where you should be to mm-hmm. see this story through. Yeah. That these are the these are the people who are actually going to find this out, and and not only are they the, the people to find out the truth, um, and to hold the government up to high standards and the hospital up to high standards yeah. to get the answers that need to be, um, uh, but they are actually going to be in the room as these things happen. Um, there's a couple of moments in this film where I can't believe <laughs> that we, our camera is where it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's also on, on a broad, on broader strokes, it's probably one of the best. Um, views of corruption I've ever seen because you're seeing layers of corruption unravel before your eyes, you know, in a tabloid journalistic way um, with people who are, whose jobs is like, this is basically a, it's a 
they're sports journalists. Yeah. So like I mean I mean at least that's the history of the publication is right. it's, it's a sports um, paper. I think the reporters we're seeing are not you know beat writers of of of, of you know uh, athletic teams, and yet um, it's it comes up several times within in scenes of how they certain certain people try to diminish them for being quote unquote sports journalists. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the sort of thing where it's again it's never fully stated, but in kind of corrupt societies, it winds up being sometimes the most unlikely places from which right. um, there's real, um, uh, I don't know, journalistic oversight and scrutiny of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really a, a really singular film. Um, and while being hyper about, like hyper local in terms of being about re- contemporary Moran- Romania, by the time you get to the end, right. you realize how much this is about so many places around the world right now yeah yeah and the and the absolute necessity of of that kind of journalism and and that kind of just persistence and 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 stubbornness um i mean the journalists to their credit they they like never flinch like it's just incredible i mean you can see it also like wears on them like there's a there's there's a kind of main like editor journalist guy who's the real bulldog and just like never lets up one of his colleagues she just looks like she's like at the end of a rope oh, more yeah. or less you know sure. um so they don't they don't shy away from showing that um and just generally it's just so unfiltered that's another thing like you could have you could have a movie I mean, about an American newsroom or, I don't know, behind-the-scenes politics, it would never be as unfiltered as, as this. Um, and, you know, I don't know. When you see that, when you see something, something this unfiltered, you become aware of the kind of spectral censorship that's going on behind the scenes in any given, like, American documentary endeavors of things that people are just assuming you cannot show, assuming you cannot talk about assuming we'll you'll have to cut at some point and so maybe never even broach those subjects um you know and and just how dainty a lot of things are you know i'm thinking of like what was the recent um steve bannon documentary the second one the allison clayman film that's a movie where you're constantly aware of how it's kind of making as much as it can with this this the the pinhole of access it, it has at right, times right. um and but here you're just always there always and, there, and it's yeah. it's like this bracing like cold water dip that you're in um, well you almost get you almost get the sense that the filmmaker um and the team uh yeah. are are really simpatico and useful mm-hmm. it, it goes both ways that the um, there's a way in which the film crew maybe maybe helps them a little bit in terms of their investigative work, and then obviously vice versa in it's terms true, of yeah, the yeah. film is helped greatly by by their. I think work. that's actually yeah. like a genre that's interesting, mm-hmm. like documentaries where it's like it's about journalism, and the film is actually supporting journalism, and the journalism is supporting the film, and mm-hmm. there are a few films like that, and it's yeah. interesting yeah. to see yeah, yeah. when that happens, and it's kind of beautiful because mm-hmm. yeah. it's yeah. And yeah, like journalism is really important to support. Yeah, and it's and interesting when filmmaking can do that and really kind of show what journalists do in that way. It sounds like this film does that. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, and the chain extends a little to to government itself because you have this figure of the reformer who turns into a minister, and you see him like trying to do the best that he can, and right, just and not even discovering just how deep the rock goes. Oh yeah. And right. at times, like turning and asking the person next to him, like, what am I going to do about this? Right. And even like the sort of things that the placeholder language that you used and kind of, yeah. I'm going to say this publicly so that I have a little bit of time to figure out things for myself what's happening. Yeah. But you realize that there are actually lives on the line for the entire yeah. country for even a placeholder. Like you actually don't have the time. You have right. to figure this out right now. Yeah. And again, stuff you would never see about U.S. government. Period. Yeah, but I, I just, when you were saying that before, I, yeah. I just like want to jump in. Like, I think that's interesting also because I think like the character, the American character gets in the way of that too. There's a kind mm. of American optimism and in like, especially, you know, with cult- like cultures that are maybe like older, there's a way in which people are willing to that's go places, I think, that yeah. sometimes they're just really hard. It's really hard for, a, you know, U.S. American yeah. culture, especially, to kind of grapple with and it's part of the newness and the quote-unquote optimism and this inability to kind of like deal with like real politic in the way that I think sometimes things works that come out of other countries can yeah. handle. Yeah, yeah, and, and and how that plays out with different journalistic national traditions like the British versus American, you know, like press conference, for example, or um, but uh, I was going to, th- yeah. I, mean, I think we should probably move on, but I was, sure. was going to say just a, a 
put out there another yeah. film that, which is a very very observational mm-hmm. m- mode limitations of the of the term aside um is love child by eva Mulvad. oh yeah which i just saw this afternoon which i was really quite something i mean the movie love child Oh boy! But very briefly, um, it's a it's an it's an Iranian couple, um, Iranian couple, um, who um, flee to Turkey, and we piece together soon after that um, that they have left Iran because uh, they have a, a child. Each of them was were married to other people, and they have a child together, and there was really no way to publicly live that way, um, and I think they felt like the circles were tightening on them and so for for their own uh safety they needed to leave the country and then it becomes a portrait of people living in exile and trying to figure out where they can go next to be safe and it becomes a very protracted long-term portrait of this family trying to figure out trying to get um uh uh, refugee status, trying to figure out where they might go next. Each of their cases is a little bit different in terms of um, uh, each of their politics because he has uh, a political past. Um, and so it becomes less about outcome. You know, it's less about what happens to them and how this represents um, uh, a particular refugee crisis because theirs spans several different ones it's so interesting like they they leave before the syrian refugee crisis really hits and so their case becomes one um that gets pa- bypassed in terms of huh. um triage basically so their case just kind of gets thrown off to the side because um though they have a very small child and they are actually in danger they're not as much danger as the Syrian refugees coming across the border. Um, And then by the time things get to a point where they might actually be able to relocate, Trump is elected president. So like, it's an incredible, um, Hmm. to me, like it's, it's wonderful to watch. You get to know them. You get to know the depths of the way that people adapt to situations like that and how a marriage can really struggle um, or a relationship can really struggle over time. But to me, it's like a, it's a, it's a, I guess what I'm trying to get at is um, it winds up um, the, the the greatness of the film winds up being about come, arises through the time that you're spending mm. with them rather than there's a target you're supposed to get to. Here's the ending that we're shooting for within this documentary. It's more of um, the, the longer we get, the longer this goes on, um, the more layers obviously it gathers. Mm. It's a really fantastic film. It, it sounds it reminds me a little of Midnight Traveler, a little bit. Is that at all? like that or yeah well i mean except it's not um on the run oh okay uh-huh. yeah i mean it's 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 they, they stay put for a lot of the film oh, okay. um and so it's a lot of forms and uh waiting a lot of waiting to see what their status is going to be yeah. and them trying to figure out should they should their lives be about istanbul should their lives be about going abroad should they be going home it's that kind of state oh, okay the state that they're in which requires a lot of skill to make a presence on screen that exactly exactly process that's right. interesting yeah. um i'm kind of liking getting reports about movies that i have not seen or may not see um and <laughs> if you don't mind i'm curious to hear about what i'm just gonna refer to as the mr rogers movie oh the mr rogers movie <laughs> yeah well it's um it's directed uh it's made by the same director as mm. um will you ever forgive me is it will you ever forgive me or okay. Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yeah, the same director of Can You Ever Forgive Me? Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and I guess, you know, depending on who you are, either maybe you have Mr. Rogers fatigue at this point, or maybe you're <laughs> like, there's no such thing as Mr. Rogers fatigue. Um, I think there are kind of, yeah, a couple of camps. Maybe I'm more in the latter. Um, and, you know, so many generations grew up with Mr. Rogers, so many of us. Um, and it's, you know, with Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Oh, and I would just say, like, yeah, um, you know, nothing is for absolutely everybody, right? But I think this is more on the crowd pleaser side, if I had to speculate subjectively. Um, and I think it may, I would say, it's likely to be nominated for Best Picture. Academy yeah. Award for Best Picture. Seems to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Tom Hanks's Mr. Rogers and um, Matthew Reese, Reese, uh, the British actor, oh, yeah. is a journalist from Esquire um, who is estranged from his father, the great Chris Cooper, plays his father. Um, <laughs> I always and, like Chris Cooper. Yeah, I like Chris Cooper too. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Cooper. Does he have a full set of teeth or no? 
in the film? Who? Chris Cooper. I believe he does. Okay. Yes. Yes. I think he has a full shit of teeth. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's good. There's, um, you know, kind what, of a what's lot the story of, of it. I don't even know what the story of the movie it's is. It's based so. on an interview, right? It's like a, it's like a two hander. Yes. It's a, it's a, it's based on a true story. Okay. Um, this journalist in the late nineties, um, did a profile of Mr. Rogers, which became the cover story for Esquire magazine. And it was like 1998, which, you know, I would note is like, I think three years before I think he died. I think he died in 2001. No, or he, well, he retired. He retired in, in 2001. 2001. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a few years before he ended Ooh, the show yeah. after literally, you know, this is like mid 60s, 2001, which is in itself just incredible. So it's like, you know, late Mr. Rogers story. <laughs> late era Mr. Rogers story. <laughs> the end, you know, the fight. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's a, kind of, and it's also. Yeah. Not which like means that. that there's an early Rogers film still to be made. That's right. Well, I mean, the documentary deals with like the full, the full, yeah, the full spectrum. In a fictional sense, we could really go prequels. Yes. No, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Mr. Rogers stories out there. And, you know, he had a a very like, yeah, illustrious career. Um, But yeah, it's also, you know, I mean, actually, you know, we're talking about this, but it's also really the story of like late print, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's also a bit of a story of like the heyday, the late 90s, which... Um, I happen to know because I started out in a magazine, started out to stress magazine, the hip hop magazine. I started with a bunch of people in the 90s. That was actually the most lucrative period of the magazine industry. It kind of went out with a big bang. So the, you know, the most money was made in magazines in the late 90s, right before it all just went kaput. So that's always, that's interesting to me. And this is very much the story of that also. And he's this kind of star investigative Mm. reporter. He's hardened. He's estranged from his father. There's a lot of like personal issues. And basically the story is that Mr. Rogers, and it's quite affecting, I would say, to me anyway, um, you know, sexually speaking, uh, Mr. Rogers employs the same strategy that he does with children on this journalist and kind of, you know, this guy who's this brilliant guy that's won awards has had a hard time dealing with his feelings. And Mr. Rogers was all about like getting kids to deal with their feelings. And here's this adult that really hasn't dealt with his feelings and his anger. And that's basically the story. And in the process of him interviewing him and doing the story, um, Mr. Rogers actually, you know, really unpacks him. The subject unpacks a journalist. And that's really the crux of the story. But I w- it's fun. It employs this whole kind of, um, you know, like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, the kind of miniature that's like a motif throughout the film. So there are like kind of miniatures of Pittsburgh and miniatures of New York and mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it has some surreal like kind of surreal elements around how kind of the the motifs like of the show are sort of weave their way into the story. And there's sort of like a dream sequence where he dreams he's and, you know, inside the world of Mr. Rogers. And um, so hmm. definitely one for the Mr. Rogers aficionados <laughs> and fans. But uh-huh. I would you know, posit that it will speak to people beyond the faithful as hmm. well. Hmm. That's interesting. Faith, well, it's, it's just use, use the word faithful because I guess he was some combination of like minister and therapist and social worker. For sure. All together. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Rogers. And sort of like you, Nick. <laughs> you're too kind. Um, I'm also super villain. <laughs> Got to throw that in there as well. But, but here, So you, you said you can imagine it being nominated for an Oscar, which... I said I can imagine it being nominated for Best Picture. Best Picture, right. Yeah. So, but, but it sounds like you're really positive on the film, but I wonder, is it built that way as well? Is there something about the way that it is, is crafted to automatically make one think that? Or is it just because you think it's actually going to be one of the better films of the year? Well, it's all relative. I mean, yeah. the pool, right, has been expanded. So I always take that consideration. Mm. I mean, how many films is it now? That, like, uh, I think it's, I think that it's not, we go back? No, there's, there's no, no limit. It's anywhere from five to 10. I think. Yeah. Ten. So, I mean, if it was like a five, I might, but if it's 10, I think, um, it's, that's complicated. You know, there's I mean, so many certain, factors. Yeah. I mean, certain films you know, are kind of made to be right. That. I mean, it's Tom, it's Tom Hanks. Right. Wow. And he's in this like kind of really, I mean, he's, it's this icon and it's this like iconic actor that's known for being nice. So it's kind of meta, yeah. right? Also playing this. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, and it's, it's big, it is bigger. Like there's a lot more visual flourish than her last film. Um, you know, the director. So I think that's a factor in terms of, but you know, who knows? I mean, there's a lot more films that are going to come out. 
I just wonder also in this moment, um, kind of, you know, this kind of mass shooting moment in the U.S., if it might resonate in a way um, in terms of some of the ideas um, and, you know, the ideas around inability to process anger is no joke Mm. and the way that that manifests. And we, you know, are living in a world and a planet and a country definitely in the U.S., you know, at least that's like, you know, that's really, so I I think it could hit around, you know, but who knows? Yeah. Just speculating. Sure, sure. No, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's, it's funny how that clip of him testifying in Congress appeared, you know, kept on, I felt like it was appearing in like three, four different documentaries over the past two years. So definitely was resonating on, on, on a, on a, on a deep level with people. Um, well, we're probably um, probably going to bring this in for a landing, I think. Um, but maybe we'll cover one more movie. Let's talk about Martin, Martin Eden, or as, as the Italians say, Martin Eden. Um, yeah, so this is a movie that uh, premiered in Venice. Um, uh, Pietro Marcello is the director. He directed Lost and Beautiful. Um, well, so yeah, Devika, why don't you tell us a bit about Do you want to descri- uh, summarize it? I, I, I can know. do it, or you can do it. Shut or up. you can do you it. Know, I'll, you know what? I'll do it. You know what? I'm going to step up here. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's based on the Jack London novel by the same name, uh, which I have not read in 20 years, but was among my favorite novels when I read it at the time. Um, Humble brag. And is it about, um, about how old I am? <laughs> no, I said humble brag about having read it 20 years ago. Before That's anyone about was how old about I am, it. not about uh, <laughs> okay. humble brag. Um, uh, <laughs> um, Anyway, so I mean, it, it is it is uh, in some ways faithful adaptation, in some ways loose, obviously, because it's transposing it to a different time and geograph- geographic place. It's mid-century Italy instead of turn of the century um, U.S. Um, but about a sailor who's uneducated, who is seeking out education on his own, um, and is incredibly hungry for it, but is also a very compelling person who is striking and makes an impression on people and uses those that ways of connecting with people and making an impression to get himself into rooms that one does not normally get a chance to access as a, as a, as a sailor. Um, and, uh, develops a relationship that way also develops, uh, a passion for writing, um, and for language in general. Um, and, uh, is sort of, uh, a picaresque from there, you know, um, not in the sense of necessarily um, moving from place to place, but he, um, episode to episode in terms of the people we meet and the people that have become important in his life, um, spaced out by him taking journeys. Um, that's the plot. Yeah. See, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Devika, was that accurate? Uh, I'll have to check my notes. <laughs> Fact check some of those what claims. Did we think? What did we think of Martin Eden? Um, I personally loved it. Um, I think it's it's interesting because we saw some of us saw a personal history of David Copperfield a couple uh, days yeah. ago. Yeah, that's an um, idea. And I, I just you know it was just mm. um, kind of fun to see these sort of back to back. You know, there's there's obvious parallels and they're both adaptations of these well known novels. They're both about like young men who don't quite fit where they are and are trying to uh, rise above their means through words and literature and learning and culture. Um, and both are sort of slightly looser adaptations, although although this one is, is more so than David Copperfield. Um, but I the, the thing that didn't quite work for me with David Copperfield and not to like just go into a whole aside here, but um, was that I think what is central to both books and movies is like a very deep sense of longing and coming to terms with how futile that longing can be. And irrespective of where you're from or how old you are, you can kind of relate to being young and really wanting to be part of high society or wanting to be cultured or wanting to sort of absorb things from the people around you that you look up to. And I think both characters have those... Uh, you know, in David Copperfield, he's like mimicking and literally storing words and phrases. Mm-hmm. And with Martin Eden, he's trying to copy the mannerisms, the way, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the way these uh, this uh, aristocratic family that he sort of um, 
gains favor with and whose daughter he falls in love with the way they like say the names of French authors or the way they eat and all of this and and the way they uh, speak in grammatically correct sentences and in the latter film with especially with Luca Marinelli's like incredible performance and he's just he's just so transfixing on screen I thought um it just that longing stays there all the way through and he changes so much and you can see that subtle change but that sense of yearning doesn't change and so when he's young that sense of yearning is exciting and it's optimistic and it's him being hungry for the world and he's a good person you see that he's a good person who just goes about the world with like an appetite to learn and meet people and as he does that and as he sort of rises in status or he and he sort of uh, discovers you know it, he the whole film is him trying to be a writer watching this at a press screening <laughs> like was very like interesting because there's all these lines when he just goes up to his lady love and he says i've decided i want to be a writer and she says well you know it is like other jobs and there are certain requirements and you know it requires some skill and there's all these other you know when people are telling him well what you write is never going to make money and and the day he receives a check from his first magazine publication and i don't know how much that is but it seemed like a lot like 200,000 lira i don't know what time period the film was supposed to be in but that's good um and so you know there's all and so him kind of going through that and learning and also going through certain political moments that uh, i assume Italy, i mean it's 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 it is like specific to italy i guess although um although definitely applicable more universally and him sort sort of getting more and more jaded and realizing all that comes with his um aspiration is also like losing some part of himself and towards the end uh, i mean the last section of the film where i don't know if it's a spoiler to say that uh, well a little bit because it's actually quite different from the novel but yeah, yeah but, okay i yeah. uh, i mean i don't know if i should say this but you know when he does become successful and he's an absolute like a husk of a man he's just you know completely like empty and doesn't know what to do with what he has achieved and it's so incredibly moving i mean i was genuinely sort of you know depressed and like sort of wrecked and a lot has to do with the performance but it's it's this you know he got everything he gets everything he wanted he's living in a big mansion he's a best selling writer and that spark is completely gone from his eyes and his performance is also you know kind of becomes very manic and doesn't know what to do with himself and that whole yeah. transformation is just so um is is beautiful and very very convincing very moving and the and i think marcelo like sort of intercuts this this whole journey of the character with i actually couldn't figure out if that footage is is from other films you know there's like the sort of neorealist footage of children a lot of it's i think documentary documentary archival it is footage. okay i wasn't sure if it was him because i know some of those scenes are supposed to be martin eden's childhood so i wasn't sure if that's archival or if um but that i mean that works beautifully too and it adds this extra element to the film where again not to keep uh making the schematic comparison but with David Copperfield where it's like trying to be about class and about you know English society at a particular time yeah. and it has these flourishes that i think just abstract it from that world and here those little insertions i think help root this novel this adaptation that transposes a story from one place to another one time to another in a historic and sort of geographic specificity that just makes it feel much more i mean it just lends it a gravitas and and um yeah just grounds the film so um i was a big fan <laughs> yeah very good as was i um <laughs> that's your final word on it. i liked it um any and you have any anything else you wanted to add about no, it? No, I think that was that was, that was okay. that, I mean that was cool. really was that really really insightful and accurate. Yeah, but okay. I mean I yeah, no I, I I entirely agree. Um but the I think I can't wait to see it again too because there's ways in which mm. what it's doing in terms of adaptation and time and transposition and also the ways mm. that it's about this kind of code switching performance um that it takes for anyone to kind of transcend where they come from to mm. fit in elsewhere um and how this applies in this film is something I'm just really really interested in you mm. know um uh 
I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a the the fact that it's adapting this U.S. Uh, novel, mm-hmm. taking it to a different. I said English. I'm sorry. No, I fine. just realized. Um, U.S. taking a different. Um, uh, taking it to a different continent, um, but then taking it to a different um, part of the century, but then also have these flashbacks that are also mm. archival or performed, whatever they wind up being. Um, there's just it, it's it's kind of all over the place in a way mm-hmm. that is. It's, it's it's very particular and very deliberate artistic choices, but I actually am still trying to figure out where mm-hmm. it's taking me all the time yeah. um, and where to situate this character within that. So I, I think it's incredibly rich. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely want to see it again as, as well. You know, it's, it's also synonyms, which is also in this um, festival. I, I was just kind of watching this film and making all these connections because synonyms is sort of, you know, but this guy who moves to a different place and is now it's like an Israeli guy trying to become French and just mm-hmm. learning the language. And there, it, it, it has scenes of him asking his French friends how to pronounce certain words correctly. And yeah. and um, and that that's also a film I absolutely loved. And both, I don't know, it just makes for an interesting double bill, you know, of people trying very hard to be not who they are and just mm-hmm. knowing that either that you can't fully ever succeed or that you actually became someone else long before you realized it. Mm. And mm-hmm. those are both I found very personally moving. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, I, let's, let's end on that. <laughs> um, great. Well, um, yeah, I think that that'll be the end of uh, this episode. Um, What's the next, very next film each of you are going to see? Just just the title. I, well, I'm going to wake up really early and line up for Merit's Story Merit's at okay. 8, like 8.30 a.m. Can you believe, you know, I just the audacity of scheduling a screening at 8.30 a.m. <laughs> in this festival. They're just trying or, to shit. Enough, try, the, enough editorial. The biggest films are always first thing in the morning to try to somehow the maybe call. have f- fewer people show up. Yeah, away. and just yeah. the... the yeah, it's brutal. It's a survival of the yeah. fittest and morning est. <laughs> survival of the morning est. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm seeing Pablo Lorraine's Emma in the morning. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, I'm going. My plan is to, you know, sprint <laughs> oh, from sure. Married Story to Emma. So maybe I'll meet you there if I am the fittest. <laughs> we will see. <laughs> All right. Um, and Jessica, what do you? Um, I'm going to see Married Story and then A Hidden Life after that. Oh, that's a very intense. Double, 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 double header. Um, okay, we'll finish it up there. Um, thank you, all of you, for a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Married Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.